So everyone, I must have told you this so many times before, everyone, I've got this bank of green lights so I can see when Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter all come live and they all come live at diff different times. It always uh, entertains me. I don't, don't know whether the Chinese or the Russians are plugged in to see whether they're going to allow, allow us in. Um, after three, can everyone say hello? One, two, three. Hello. Hello. Oh, there's a bit of hesitation there, wasn't there? Because it's like um, it's, it's only the start of the week, everyone. It's not not the not the end of the week. Um, Susie, great to have you on. We're just going to let all the social media uh, kick out, kick in properly. Hello, everyone. My name is Max McGillivray from Beanstalk Global. Uh, today we are broadcasting again with women in food and farming, and we've got the utterly fantastic Susie McIntyre Kettle Produce, and we're really excited to have her on for reasons that we'll we'll discuss a, a little bit later. But um, team, whilst we're waiting for the social media to to kick on, um, I hear there's a, a couple of things uh, going on. One really sad, but uh, we're very proud of, um, but one very, very good uh, that we're really keen to hear hear about. Kirsty, tell us about the Women in Food and Farming in-person event and how that went uh, went in London the other day. Yes, yeah, so we had our um, first in-person event in over two years last Tuesday, um, and it was fantastic. We had over 80 um, participants join us. Um, we had talks by um, myself and, and Christine on some, a variety of different topics and also a lot of impromptu speakers who felt that they were able to add something. And that's one of the, the fantastic things about women in food and farming is we're all there to, to listen and learn from each other. And, and numbers? What, what sort of numbers um, did you have? Just over 80. But what was really good from our perspective is there's quite a large number of under 30s there um, as well. And that's what one of the things we really wanted to promote is that there are people who can go and learn about um, how to progress their career and get some advice but there's also um, people that you can go and talk to in terms of what is it younger people are looking for and what's important to them so lots of exchanges of information both ways and Debbie um, oh sorry Kirsty no I was just saying we have decided that we would do um, another one and we will be releasing those dates shortly in the next few weeks hopefully we can um, get something um, booked in um, and uh, share all that information with you and, and Kirsty, that'll be in the same same format, probably the same same location, the same style. Uh, very likely, it'll be definitely the same type of format with um, probably conversational speakers, um, and then we will also have our sponsored under thirty tickets um, as well. So, uh, but more details will we will sort of finalise it based on feedback that we received from our event um, that we had last week. And Debbie, were you happy with this? I thought it was great. It was a lovely example of how women can get together and support each other. It was lovely to see so many young women and also what young women wanted to reach out to various other people of different ages and different bits of the industry. And it was a, just a lovely, rounded, interactive event. I loved it. It was great. Please can we do some more? Yeah, no, that's so that's good. And Christine, I think that's everything that we all aspire to in the respect of doing these monthly broadcasts as we got through uh, the, the last couple of years, just to keep the continuity of women in food and farming going so that you could pick up again um, on, on the on the face to face. So, so Christine, I presume you're happy as well. Very happy. And I think the, it was interesting that it brought different people. Um, you know, some people had never heard of women in food and farming, but they heard about the event on Eventbrite and came along. And I think it shows the value of having these monthly broadcasts with speakers and having in-person events. The one thing we're missing is a website where we can put it all together and somebody that comes to one of these can then go back and see some of the speakers. And uh, somebody at the event actually offered to sponsor a website. So um, it was all hugely successful. 
Excellent. And, and Susie, that's what, I've, as we said in the green room, that's what I like about the collective nature of women in food and farming. It's not overly structured, but it just works. And it has, has worked. Christy, do you want to just give a, a quick background on women in food and farming so everyone knows, so, and everyone knows what why they should engage? It started with four chief execs meeting on a farm and looking at each other and thinking, crikey, we're all women. This is just so unusual and that we should do more to help women in the industry. And they contacted me when I was running the co-op farms and Jane King, who at the time was editor of Farmers Weekly, and said, why don't we meet together and support each other? And, and we decided we would, but each of us would bring along two people that none of the rest of us knew. And that was really where it got into mixing and bringing new people in. And from that, we've now grown to membership of, I think it's over 600 now, isn't it, Kirsty? And, uh, you know, it, it's really just people supporting each other and it's free to join. And when we have an in-person event, we generally find somebody that will give us the room for free. So we just need a little bit of money towards the, the, the food and wine and hopefully find somebody that will sponsor under 30s. Yeah, no, that's great. As Kirsty said about about having that sort of number that that uh, that were there. So that's all very positive. Can we just uh, have have a bit of positive reminiscing about the the celebration uh, for for Caroline Drummond? Yes. Christine, do you want to, do you want to just tell us yes, what, well, uh, what occurred last week, please? On that, yeah, she was she was there right from the beginning in women in food and farming. She was at that very first lunch that we had, and then uh, we moved it to evenings because we all talked too much and lunch wasn't long enough. And we all identified that the things that were that most of people around the table were either working in environmental work, sustainability or communication. And we thought, well, what's farming not done well the last 20 years? Uh, it might be communication and it might be looking after the environment. And this is when we met, what, 10, 15 years ago. And we felt very much that, that was what was missing. And that's why you need, you know, you need diversity because everybody brings something different to the party. But Caroline came to every single in-person event and she was our speaker in March this year. Yeah. A huge the whole way through and um i went to her well we actually spoke about her at the women in food and farming event and i noticed that the under 30 people were writing her name down thinking i must go and find out about this person because they didn't know who she was um about the memorial service it was just a wonderful eclectic mix of people from all walks of, of farming you know you go to the Oxford farming conference and you meet certain sorts of people and you go to a sustainability event with different people we were all there all there fresh produce people everything at, at Caroline's event and having I chatted to her husband afterwards who said it would make Caroline so proud that her memorial service ended up being a fantastic networking event yeah uh, no, she, she she was fantastic is fantastic and the legacy that she's uh, left for, for leaf is is going to oh it's just going to go on from from here isn't it so there's yeah there's it's, it's appalling to, to to lose her but what she's left behind is utterly amazing and her, her legacy she'll she'll live on Indeed. So um, let us uh, honour our guest of honour, uh, Susie McIntyre. Debbie, how do you know um, Susie? Christine, Kirsty, do you want to just turn off your video? Oh, I'm pushing you out the room. Kirsty, uh, oh, Kirsty, lovely hairstyle, by the way. New hairstyle. <laughs> Thanks very much, Rex. <laughs> so Debbie, how, how do you know Susie? I'm very lucky to know Susie. Susie is an amazing character and she um, heads up a fantastic organisation um, that um basically organizes growing vegetables in a wonderful part of scotland and then organizes um making them real for supermarkets and i was lucky enough to be a techie working for a supermarket and susie was the head of a supplier and i am terribly terribly grateful for all the good big work that her and her team did to support the, the areas i was working in and i i'm just so 
um, in awe of both Susie and Kettle. I, I can't explain it well enough. So that's my introduction to Susie and Kettle. So Max, please pick up from there. De De Debbie, you know this well. Um, Susie, was uh, was Debbie a good technologist to you know have have, have around kicking around? Well, she was until she dumped that load of pressure at your feet. <laughs> Thank you, million, Debbie. No, no, honestly, um, I, I'm, Debbie is has been an absolute pleasure and a joy to work with her all the years that we've worked with her, and you know we had so much fun. We had a lot of hard work, but my goodness, we had a lot of good times and a lot yeah. of fun as well. And and it was it was just a joy to to see. Some of the vegetables being grown in sequence and the way that all the growers work together to provide fantastic fresh veg but also in a very environmentally and sustainable way and it's just a joy and i i am forever grateful um but i i and i wanted uh, susie to come on and and talk about various things to do with kettle and this particular topic is very pertinent and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that you've agreed to talk about it Excellent. Um, uh, Tim, can I just ask a favour? Debbie, can you stay on uh, with, with, with me talking with, with Susie? Because I think to have your, and I'm being serious here for once, your, your professional um, ob objective uh, question as well with, with, with Susie or commentary would just really complement things really well. Would that be okay, Debbie? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Susie, is that okay? Of course it's fine. You sure? You sure? Right. Just just for everyone on the on the on the podcast, especially, I just want to give a bit of background to, to Kettle uh, Produce. So Kettle Produce is a market leader for the provision of fresh and prepared vegetables. They're passionate about their food and as such work closely with their farmers who grow for them, ensuring that they supply high quality produce to their customers. Uh, based in Fife, Scotland, they employ over uh, 1,100 permanent staff across their sites and are one of the largest private sector employers in the region. Through their trusted network of suppliers, they have over 5,000 hectares. I had to read that a couple of times. 5,000 hectares of crops grown in Scotland and around the world, ensuring continuity of quality and supply. They deliver daily to their customers nationwide. Um, Susie, when I was just looking at that background information, you you all know that other companies within the the whether it be fresh produce or the greater food industry they have huge websites and lots of videos and lots of jingoistic stuff to me kettle produce your your website is absolutely fantastic uh, but but you just get on with it and you've just always had this reputation of being incredibly prof professional and just getting um on with it what is the background to kettle produce how was kettle produce formed please oh okay well uh, thanks max i actually take that as quite a compliment because um very much of the view you get your head down you get your sleeves rolled up and, and you just get on with the job in hand so thank you for that um the business was started by two two growers one of whom was my dad and uh, another local grower and we started in his family farms um, shed growing cabbages cauliflower and swede and that was way back in 1976 and we got a route to market for that product into a UK retailer on the back of the fact that my dad had been a, a strawberry grower prior to that. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Okay. And, From Swedes and, to strawberries or strawberries to Swedes, it's quite a change. And, and so just roughly, when, when was that first meeting in the shed? What, what, what year-ish? Right, uh, 1976. Right, okay. So, so actually, the, Debbie, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that that long ago. You think of um, some other uh, produce companies that have been... Uh, so, 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 Debbie... Um, Susie, the, the the growth, the rise of of kettles being has been been phenomenal. It, is that because there was just no other 
offering in in Scotland that no one had the foresight of um of your father and his his partner to 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 get growers together to grow quality produce for for, for supermarkets was, was that the magic dust? I don't think you can probably say there was just uh, one shaking of magic dust, Max. If I'm truthfully honest, I think there was probably a few things that that just made it all hang together. Uh, one. I think is the area in which we grow. Scotland is really quite unique and, and we have the ability to grow a diverse range of products, which creates quite a market opening and opportunity. I, there wasn't really anybody else in Scotland growing these products and in the volume that they were being grown. They were being grown for the wholesale market rather than the retail sector. And it was quite a different market to, to attract um, custom from. And, and I think, the other part is as the business evolved and it grew, it became quite invested in expanding the marketplace in which it was in. So, you know, we, we moved um, quite mid 80s, so probably really quite early on into trying to make value from all our waste. And we moved from just a fresh market business to a prepared market business. Oh, okay. and, and that, I think, was also a, a good opening. Yeah, and that, that's Deb, Debbie. That's uh, that whole um, area of prepared produce is not an easy sector to be involved in, is it? No, but the, the other thing that's nice about Kettle is the lovely trust that, that exists between the people who work at Kettle and the growers. And it, it's just a, it's a, a most wonderful um, squared circle because the, the, the growers totally respect and trust to people at Kettle to help them decide how many hectares of this, that and the other and when to sow it and, and when it's likely to come ready for harvest. And it's just a lovely, trusty thing. And I, I found that very powerful. And, I, you know, to, to your to your credit, because it's I know it's not just you and your team, it's actually the growers as well, but they all work together. And I really like that. That's that's the, for me, the magic dust is the fact that they all work together in, in a lovely, trusty way. Yeah, I've, I've got my cheeky smile on again because I've never been in a couple of uh, shoot wagons over the years, one in East Anglia, where a large potato farmer was saying he was so unhappy with his growing group that he was going to leave ne next season because they weren't giving enough. Um, and then likewise, that same season, I've been, I was in a, 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 I don't shoot that often, but I was in a shoot, shoot wagon up at the borders and they supply kettle. And I asked them, oh, what's the relationship uh, like with kettle, knowing what the relationship was with this potato farmer down, down in the south. So, oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's like, well, one big family. And that just, again, Debbie, that to me, that just summarised um, how the, the, that, that what, why kettle produces is different and why it doesn't need to shout about who, who it is because it just gets on with it. Susie, what's your background then? So if, if, if your papa set, set up the business, how did you get to be involved with the business? By default, rather than by design, uh, if I'm really honestly truthful, um, I, I did a degree at uni and then after that decided that teaching was going to be the career for me. So I, I did a postgraduate teacher training. And uh, when I finished that, I spent a summer counting blue pellets of all things. And if ever there was a route to, to, um, to hemorrhage cash and to, to simply flush it down the drain, mismanagement of, of pallets most definitely wow. falls into that category. And, and on the back of that, I found myself getting offered a permanent job and I just flipped a coin. Will I teach? Or will I come into the business? And I think I got came up heads I was winning, tails I was losing, and I'm you know I have no doubt in my mind now I made the right decision. I, I you know I was I was thinking about this when I was walking the dogs earlier. I'm just I'm just going to ask it. Any, any regrets? 
because you could have gone teaching you could have got you could have done any particular did, did you was it sort of de facto that you had to and we know this within within farming um within farming families was it de facto that you had to you, you felt a bit a bit bound to to, to follow the, the 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 family so are you, are you happy with that direction that that you went or have you have you got regrets about uh, not not going into teaching i look at my teaching friends now <laughs> and I look at the lifestyle they lead, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, at the end of June when they break up for eight weeks holiday and, and that's them and they walk away from the workplace for eight weeks and don't need to think about it. Of course you wonder, but the reality is, no, I wouldn't change it for a thing. And I certainly didn't feel compelled to at all. I have a, I have a brother who is in the oil industry and he lives and works in London and there was absolutely no pressure. Quite the contrary, actually. Uh, we were regularly told whatever you do for heaven's sake don't rely on nature for for your livelihood and get, get away from farming yeah yeah but then, then but haven't we all got the same issue that you cut us all in half whether that be christine kirsty yourself debbie we, we all we all um i was gonna say bleed we we all show a love of love of farming and agriculture i expect your brother enjoys uh, uh, the oil industry in london but Susie, could you imagine yourself being in London in a role? I, I love London. I love visiting. I love the, the buzz and the hype of it. But I absolutely love when I get back off the plane at Edinburgh or Dundee, wherever it is, or step, you know, step back into the clean air and I look up and I can see stars and I can see a horizon. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but, you know, you, you you just don't see any of that in the city. Yeah. Okay, but then I, I was uh really impressed staggered that the number of people that you, you employ in the business and um as i think um we, we've discussed before this uh on this broadcast series the best thing about running a business is employing people the worst thing about running a business is employing people and i, I remember a um commercial director for bt uh, when i went to i think cranford university saying that running a business with more than 500 people um is is a nightmare on a communications and on a cultural basis especially if you've got some um, external suppliers especially if you're on a multi-site basis and in in effect that's what that's what you've got Susie. you've got all those external grows you've got over a thousand people on, on multiple sites how how do you um do it I, i'm presumably i'm presuming it's not just you Susie. you're not the first person at six o'clock opening the 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 door making making sure that there's there's uh there's paper in the fax machine remember those um and lock it up at night presumably you, you do you have a, a really nice trusted management team around you oh absolutely and we ditched the fax machine a long time ago max <laughs> the teletext one or two while we were at it um no it, it is so reliant on having great people around you and and i feel so fortunate because you know fantastic board tremendous management team and 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 guys who've been working with us um actually we've just been updating our our uh, long service award boards and we have them up on on yeah. all sites and you know there are people on there that have over 40 years experience and have been with us since day one almost um and we have uh one of our boards who actually lied about her age to start she uh <laughs> she's now 40 years in the business and you know she started at 15 telling us she was 16. Excellent. I hope you put her through a disciplinary on, <laughs> on, on, on that I think basis. Sometimes she maybe feels she gets that in a daily basis anyway, just doing her job. Oh no. So, so um, just just give us a couple of highs, um, Susie, of, of running Kessel Produce. Gone off the top of your head, a couple of highs, a couple of oh, things that make you really proud when you're walking the dog or whatever your thing is. 
Oh, 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 that could give you a huge, big, long list. But do you know, uh, one of the one of the biggest highs I I always get is when someone gives you a success story, however big or small that is, of something that's really worked in their day. And and one of the other biggest surprises that you get and great highs is when you're not expecting a piece of news or, or you're not expecting something and and the unexpected simple things happen um and, and the list of these sorts of things are endless but you know it for me it's all about people you know yeah. when people leave and then they decide they want to come back and you know oh, wow. they're looking to come back that that to me has, has oh. got to be one of the biggest wins you can ever have it, it speaks volumes yeah. and and yeah it's yeah, like having that, a member of your family back yeah and that, and that doesn't happen often again that's a, a really good um um, and 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 um and indicative of, of the of the culture of the of the business. Uh, Chris Evans, uh, we, I think we talked about him previously. That he his autobiography is really interesting. That when he bought, bought uh, Virgin Radio, um, he said that I adopted this open door policy that anyone could come in. Okay, I owned the business, I was the boss, but anyone could come in and talk to me about anything that they wanted. Um, and he found very quickly that he had people coming in to talk to him about the, the cat getting run over, which is appalling, or uh, breaking up the boyfriend, or that they didn't have enough money um, to, to pay for the Chinese that night. And he just got so filled up with all of this other people's baggage, he didn't know what to do, but he wanted to keep this open door policy, but he he couldn't manage it. With with yourself, Susie, what's your management style? What, how can we learn from you? How, how, do, you, how do you manage um, kettle produce so that people can be in touch with you, but but also, you, 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 it's not that you want to be aloof, but you can't be with them all the time. What's your management style? I, I think the key is to always engage with people and always try and be consistent. You know, um, you choose your attitude when you cross the threshold every day and you need to come in with a smile on your face. And, and when people want to speak to you, you need to provide that ear. It's key. It's important. And, and, and I would just say... You need to be. You need to be real. You need to be authentic, and people need to know you are authentic. That yeah. that to me is a key driver. Yeah, and and Debbie, come on, you and I've been 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 around the block a couple of times. We've seen a lot of businesses um, either still going or so some some that have failed. And to me, the the ones that have failed is 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 normally down to that people element, Debbie, isn't it? Yeah. That they just so haven't got that. For me, kettle is it's the trust and the, the fact that it's real, and uh, yeah, they 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 just exactly as you described at the beginning they just get on with doing it so whatever's happening they get on with doing it and it's it's just they're just so reliable so yeah and i go back sorry Debbie, but we, okay. are, we do need to segue Matt. yeah no here it comes here it comes here it comes right. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do tend to attempt to I do attempt to be slightly professional about this occasionally. Debbie. So, uh, so Susie, we've we had your highs. Presumably, this is this has all been a bed of roses. You've had no you've had no horrors along the way, have you? Yeah, I've had one or two bumps on. bumps on the road. I think you Go might on. describe them as. But it's how you handle them, Max. That's that's the that's the that's the measure of you. Yeah, and this is why we one of the reasons why um, Debbie was really keen to get um, Susie on because um, we're going to talk about crisis management. So everything with Kettle Produce look, looks to be uh, very, very happy, very very glowing, but there have been some hiccups along the way. Susie, tell us about this hiccup that that you had, um, so that we can learn from you and your team about how you handle a business and people in a crisis. Okay, well, um, let me tell you a bit of a story. So I. I 
I suppose it seems like a, an, an absolute lifetime ago that I agreed I was going to do this this chat with Christine and Debbie. And to be honest, I know you're saying we had any crisis, but I'm not sure that that now people would even contemplate talking crisis management because you would think that everywhere we go, we're facing into, I guess, what you'd call a crisis, a financial crisis, a labour crisis, fuel crisis, energy, supply chain, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and, and these crises, I think I would really describe them now as, as almost business as usual, because they're things we're facing every day and, and without any real ending in sight. Um, I, I guess perhaps what you're talking about, Max, is something a bit different. And it's um, not necessarily, it is a crisis, but it's not, um, it's not immediate. I guess the difference is perhaps between um, something that's chronic versus something that's an acute long-term back pain versus a broken leg, if you like. Yeah, okay. okay. If, if crises are what we face, and, and I guess we manage routinely, then perhaps what we're talking about is incident management, something that's event-driven um, yeah. and has an immediate impact. Yeah. And, and we handle these things quite regularly. We, we use something I called our business continuity plan. We treat it like a Bible. Wow. Uh, it was something we developed way back in 2006, I think. Um, it was our insurers who were very keen we did it. And in those days, they rather cheerily called it a disaster recovery plan. Thankfully, we're a bit more positive in these days. Um, and and you know, we, we did it uh, on the guys that, okay, we need to do it. We thought it was a huge amount of work and we probably thought it was quite a waste of time. Had it not been for the fact that it was going to impact our insurance bill quite considerably, we probably would never have done it. Wow. But actually, it's one of the best things we've ever done. Okay. Um, um, if it's okay, we'll, we'll come on and talk about the, 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 the devastating fire that you had on site and, and how that worked. But presumably, that disaster recovery plan, have you been able to, to deploy it for the likes of COVID, um, for, the, for, the, for the likes of energy crisis, for, for the likes of the, the ramifications of the, of the Ukrainian war? Have you been, is it that, that robust a plan that you can deploy it for different circumstances? Well, with, without a doubt, you know, it's, uh, it really is that step-by-step -step instruction manual, um, a guide, a framework, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, when you have that real gut-wrenching, stomach-churning, sort of unthinkable thing happen to you, um, it gives you that, that structure to get through that, that moment that it hits you between the eyes and you think, what the heck are we going to do now? Um, mm. and, and we've used it. We, we use it. We have training sessions on it, but we've used it. Probably the most recently, uh, the most recent thing we used it for, for was Storm Arwen. Okay. We yep. used it for fuel shortages, power outages, wow. COVID shutdown, IS system failures. And, mm -hmm. and yes, you're quite right. The one we probably used it for most, most robustly. Certainly the one we remember using it most for would be the fire. Yeah, okay. Can, can, this is a bit rude, but just, just see what you think to this. Um, there's a quote I saw yesterday from Mike Tyson, of all people. And as he stated, everyone has a plan until they get smashed in the face. So it's a bit, but with, with your, with that disaster recovery plan, it is that robust, is it? That it can cover from everything from a storm to fuel crisis to, to the lights of a major fire. It, it is that adaptable, is it? It is, and it's designed to be such. Uh, the point is you make it unique to you, and ours yeah. is unique to our to us uh, as anybody else's would be to them. And it it picks up all your your action points, um, all all your triggers, and and you know everybody will look at it in a different way. Everybody will have all their own plans within it, 
their key activities, their, their key drivers and, and their key triggers. And the trigger for us in instigating the plan is something that's going to disrupt the business for 24 hours or more. Okay. And it okay. can be any part of the business. It, it doesn't need to be sort of a specific part of the business. Debbie, are you aware of other uh, large-scale businesses with, uh, with an agriculture of fresh produce that actually have a deployed uh, disaster recovery plan? I'm um, not sure I do. No, I'm not as well, but uh, certainly um, places like the big supermarket that I worked at and the big brand that I worked at absolutely do. And it, 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 they not only have it, but they train people into it and they, re they review regularly. So it, it's, it's probably something we should think about or farming and fresh produce should probably think about it a bit more but this what was for me impressive was the fact that you had um, the kettle had a massive issue a massive fire and you did manage to get up and running and you did manage to get stuff out of the door into supermarkets and you then did build back and i just thought that was so so absolutely impressive because it was it was it was not a small event. Yeah, and I, I, I won't nominate them, but there was a, a fire recently in our area in, of East Anglia of a of a business in the, in the vegetable sector, and that that business went went under a year later, citing uh, that that fire. And so you can imagine they didn't have a disaster recovery. If it's okay to ask Susie, tell us about this fire. How, how, when, I, when did it when did it occur? What what, what happened? Sure. Well, shall I just walk you through it and then give you an yes, indication of how how we did what we did and and our route to recovery i think and and the route to, it's, it's a huge long story but maybe if i just give you a bit of a, a, a an outline of it and then give you my takeouts of what i think that i would look for in a in a recovery plan if for if i were listening to this how does that sound perfect far away madam okay in that case let me just um get uh get on to We 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 met we met Susie's IT man earlier. <laughs> <laughs> He's still here. Yeah, I know. Still here. Uh, okay, so I, if I'm just I'm just about to uh, share a screen here, so bear with me two seconds. Excellent. Yeah, Debbie, I'm sure. I'd, I'd love people to to say in the comments whether they their businesses have a have a disaster recovery plan. But I think it, we, a number of people just work on the basis of it won't happen to us. Why do we need to put time and effort in, into that? But it's. But I do know other businesses that have got that file, and when when they've had an incident, accident on 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 work, they've um, they've deployed it very very successfully. But yeah, it'd be fascinating. Yeah, it's not, to, it's not to just know. having having the plan though, is it? It's being able to have people who can execute it and regularly re review it and revise it because yeah. things change. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. It's, it's about everybody knowing what they're going to do during that. Yeah, Max, can okay. I can I just yeah. jump in while we're waiting? Go, Christine. Well, just to say, if you if you look at what the things that have affected industry, I mean, at the co-op, we had a travel business and nobody predicted things like the Iceland volcano. And, you know, there's just it seems to me some of the biggest things that have hit business, if you include COVID as well. Nobody's actually been prepared for that. It's almost as if some of the things that are happening are far worse than anybody ever thinks of. They think, oh, what had the electricity cut? But, you know, some of the things that have happened to business have been massive. So, I, you know, to say we don't need a recovery plan, nothing will happen. Just look at the things that have happened that nobody saw coming. Yeah, and that's right. I'm, 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 I'm so impressed with the Susie and Kettle produce that the recovery plan can cover so, so many, many, many different things. 
So but I think to... that's it, Max. I think the key is your recovery plan is a plan. It's not giving you every incident that could possibly happen. It's a structure to give you that platform. It, it's a step-by-step -step guide as to what to do, what you need to consider, the areas you need to be looking at, um, rather than necessarily an absolute recipe guide as to you know yeah. how to make it work. Yeah. So if I can just give you, go, I, you should all be seeing that yep, screen now. Yep. So that's our our site at Orkey, our roots plants. So we've we've two sites. They're a couple of miles apart. Um, this one is our roots plant where we wash and pack and grade uh, all our dirty crops. And our other site, two miles away, is is head office, and it's where we pack all our green veg, are ready to cook, and this site now has has ready to eat on it as well. So. Way back, um, the uh, the Friday the 9th of April, my phone rang at 10 to 5 in the morning. And you just know when you get a phone call at that time in the morning, it is not going to be good news. And it was our engineering manager, Susie. He said, Orky's on fire. Mm. Everyone's out, but everyone's okay. And the fire brigade are on their way. I don't live very far away. And you know, five minutes later, I was, I was out on the farm road. And this is the site oh I met God. with. Wow. Um, five minutes later, he and I are standing on site. We're on our phones, contacting our teams, communicating already what we were needing to do, feeling, if I'm honest, feeling highly impotent and just yeah. listening. We could hear, you know, it's six in the morning. There's not a lot of traffic. We could hear the sirens coming. We knew the fire brigade were on their way. And it really was 10 of probably the longest and yet the shortest moments of my life. <laughs> And just a quick one. People always says, "What, what, what happened? How did this start?" And, and the long and the short of it is, we still don't know. The police crawled all over. You can imagine their forensic team crawled all over us for days. They came up with no answer, and and then your insurers crawl all over you because um, they they really are desperately finding, looking to find someone on whom to lay the responsibility and ultimately the bill, because uh, they would rather it falls on somebody else's lap naturally rather than theirs. But um, they too left without an answer. So we can tell you where it started, but we really can't tell you how it started. Well, and, and so the fire brigade arrive on site and you are so relieved to see them. But the minute they arrive on site, you're under their control and you have at best restricted access to any of your buildings. And we were lucky we had a standalone engineering workshop uh, on site, which became our command centre and, and the fire brigade's command centre on site for the duration that they were there. Um, we had all our plans and, and, you know, we had everything on site there that we needed, um, except our site. We knew at that point that we were going to have to action our BCP. It was, you know, the first calls we were making at six in the morning. And those first two hours are spent just communicating. You, you want to gather as much information as you possibly can. Because we'd been using the BCP, because we trained against it, the heads of department, the senior management team, knew what information, what sort of information they were going to be, be needed. Because at this point in the game, you know, we genuinely believed we weren't really going to be out of the site for very long. You know, a few days, maybe to the start of the following week. Um, you know, the, the fire brigade would get the fire out and we'd be back in. A little bit of damage, we wouldn't necessarily get full access to everything, but it really wasn't going to stop us in our tracks. Um, so and eight in the morning, we began our first business continuity plan meeting, and that was at our other site, which was, you know, control centre. And the first 
you do is, is an information give on what's actually happening on the site, of what you know live in the moment. In this instance, really not an awful lot. The site's on fire, the fire brigade are there, everybody's safe. We don't think it's going to be that serious. And the working assumption is what you base your next set of plans on. So we made the working assumption we were going to be out of the factory till probably the middle of the following week. Okay. But then the department heads look at everything they need to do. So what impact is that going to be on them, on their department, on, on the immediacy and, and going forward for the next few days? What were they going to need to do? What were they going to need to enact? How were they going to get information? What did that need to, what format did that need to take? And how did it work up and down and across the supply chain? So how was it going to affect our raw materials that were coming in? How was it going to affect what we were harvesting? How was it going to affect what we were putting out? And the other piece, and, and Christine touched earlier on the, on the need for communication, the, the key part is, is communication. And we created very quickly, well, we actually had a list in our business continuity plan. Uh, for those who have a business continuity plan, you'll know you've got battle boxes and you keep battle boxes on various sites. And within that battle box, you have all sorts of things that you think will be pertinent to the needs of your business. And one of them is a list of all your contacts because it's perfectly feasible that you're not going to have all of those at your fingertips if you can't get into your offices or onto your IT systems. So we had a list of all our contacts and we made a plan of who was going to be speaking to them. And uh, we plan to meet again in three hours when we've got more info. Wow. So it, it really, really is critical that you get that communication piece right, no matter how much or how little information you have, because what we found is that nature abhors a vacuum. And, and actually, we then made it a priority for us to give a, a regular factual update from the start. And in doing so, that kind of gives you the ability to, to some degree, maintain control of the information. And it stops you wasting time, valuable time, dealing with misinformation and noise. You don't really want to be doing that. That's just an absolute pain that you don't need. And we also created a holding statement for everyone to use for all our external comms and, and some internal. And, and the press we left to our PR company to deal with that. That sounds really grand. We, we don't have a PR company. We have a light touch with a PR organization yeah. who we've worked with for years and, and they handle our, um, you know, our relationship with the press when we're publishing on our accounts, our annual accounts and doing local charity and PR work, that sort of thing. Um, the press are desperate to come on site. You know, they want the scoop, they want the news, but they are the last people you need or want on site. Um, so to have someone who can keep them well informed and feeling engaged, but at bay is, is a real benefit. So by 11 o'clock, we'd started on our second business continuity plan. And, and the, the situational update was that by that point, we had 14 tenders on site. So we were pretty certain at that stage, we weren't going to be out just for a couple of days. Um, the message was the site's on fire and it's burning, oh. still burning and it's still spreading. And although not yet really quantifiable, that there was a fair indication that the damage was going to be quite significant. And, and we're probably going to be out for a bit longer than we planned. If we were lucky, we might be out for four weeks probably six and if we were really unlucky maybe a couple of months so you then go straight back to your department updates where were we how would we manage to get everything sorted for the weekend and, and the good news was we had managed to get everything 
organized we were really only going to be in a position where we were failing to hit about 100 odd trays of orders for all our customers everything else was going to be fine so the short term the immediate short term is sorted and you can get on and start work on the the more longer medium term stuff and that's what our our department heads started working with making assumptions we're going to be out of here now for a couple of months so what are we going to do what does that mean and and what will like what will we require and and what help and support are we going to need and that's followed very quickly by the feedback on the comms and and what we found and and i would hope that anybody in the same circumstances would find exactly the same was the level of support was exceptional people only wanted to know what they could do to help and you you never know that's going to be the situation and until the chips are down your back's against the wall and and you are staring down the barrel of that that particular gun and and all people want to do is put their arm around you and and do everything they can to support so you're immediately back into action driven behaviors and i think that's where a business continuity plan helps so you plan to meet again we we chose a three hour window and at that point you know we're still thinking this this isn't great but it's it's still temporary it's still a couple of months at at worst but the reality became fairly clear fairly quickly by two o'clock we knew we'd we'd lost more than chills and a bit of equipment really we were actually losing the battle for for our entire oh, carrot and and swede wash plant we'd gone from, yeah, we'd gone from sort of losing a big toe probably to losing a couple of limbs and, and we had to really regroup at that point. Wow. Um, you know, we were saying, you know, this this is not looking good, team. Um, yeah. This isn't short term. This isn't even semi-medium term. We're really now talking fairly long term. Um, maybe, maybe, heaven help us, we might not be back until Christmas. The extent of the, the burn and the fire was significant. Um, and that, that creates a very different set of comms that you need to be delivering to everybody, to your stakeholders, to your staff, to your, your customers, to your um, everybody involved. And you end up having to create a very different business continuity plan, uh, a, business, a very different plan, basing, still using your BCP to, to deliver that. Um, but as I said earlier, the upside of it means that the immediacy could could just, and I do say just lightly, could just be actioned and, and be got on with because you've put that to bed very early on and you start, you really are working on what needs to happen now. And is it the business continuity plan? Is it how you embrace it? I, I think the two go hand in hand, um, but regardless of how awful the situation is, Having that plan in place means you're solution driven. You go into assessment of problem, delivery of solution. What does it mean? What are we going to do? How are we going to sort it? And, and when, you, when you approach it from that manner, it, it's, it's awful. It, it is, you, know, you can't take anything away from that, but you become driven to find a solution. And, and we arrange to meet in another three hours time. And by early afternoon, our insurers were on site. And, and I would say at this point, even considering the forensic challenge, which I do completely understand, they, our insurers were fantastic. Um, you don't appreciate what they do until you need them. And, and what they do is what they do every day. 
their support throughout and their guidance and their encouragement, it was second to none. So together with our insurers and the fire chief, we spent, I think, probably one of the most sobering afternoons of my working career, wow. being informed that the wind was changing direction and the fire brigade were unable to stop the fire. Their best hope was to be able to control the burning. They were likely to be on site for at least another three days. And they would do everything they could to control the spread to let us salvage our parsnip line, but they couldn't guarantee that the steelwork would be salvageable. Yeah, we were we were still living in this world of hope. We're going to be back yeah. in there. We will be, but we will get that parsnip <laughs> line. It will be fine. Um, and, and and our final business continuity plan meeting of that day was was probably our it was our darkest hour, but I think it was also a defining moment because that you know that that reality of what was actually going to be lying ahead of us hit you know we're losing our carrot wash plant we're losing our sweet wash plant we're losing our packing plant we're going to lose our intake area we've lost our chills you know it truly was a case of you know we're going to keep the parsnip plant the distribution chill will be okay what were we going to distribute out of there i have no idea what we could pack anything oh, that's another question for another day um but we, we, you know, we had this confidence that, that we will be okay um, and we'll get some things going and, and we will we'll be able to get back in with the parsnip line. It will be good. But the, the, the magnitude of what lay ahead of us was huge. And, and we did realise at that point, you know, we, we weren't living in cloud cuckoo land. We did realise that this was this was not a repair job. This is a rebuild job. And that we were going to need a complete new wash plant, a complete new packing plant for our biggest, I mean, carrots, our biggest volume crop. And that that was going to take a year or so to complete. And, okay, and not, notwithstanding, you know, we Christmas in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, so short term, we were getting some help and assistance from our competitors. We'd move people from one production site to another. We were looking at short term different procurement plans. And that was great. But actually, that wasn't going to cut it. Um, our operational issues were quite different now. We were going to have to find somewhere sort of semi-permanent to wash and grade carrots um, for the crop that was in the ground in the here and now, but also the crop that had just been planted for the coming year because, you know, we we just finished planting yeah. our coming year's crops two, two weeks earlier. And, and we realised that the recovery period was going to be long and it was going to be arduous and, and quite a Herculean task in many respects. But we were committed, we were rebuilding, and we were starting as soon as we could. And you, you then go into this period of, you know, we've got the fire brigade on site, and the, the momentum of the plan, the momentum of the process that you are now in. I used to work with a, a, a HR director many, many years ago who said, get into process. That was his guide to everybody. If you're going through a difficult period, if things are, are challenging, get into process, because once you're in process, the process take control. It takes the emotion out of it yeah. and you will deliver. And he was absolutely right. Yeah, we'll we were in our process here. And you're constantly living in this environment where you're getting new news, things are being drip fed, contingency plans get made, get changed, get altered. And you're constantly communicating and constantly meeting with people, whether it's your staff, whether it's your customers, whether it's your growers, your stakeholders. Um, and when the fire brigade left, I'm going to bear with me a few moments. I am going to just show you the scenes that we were left with when the fire brigade did eventually leave 
the middle of the following week. This is what wow. a burnt-out factory looks like. Oh. Oh, good grief. Oh, that, well, that's the worst one. Crikey. I'm going to keep you... It spreads so quickly. Oh. It does. I mean, that previous one, you'll see this is a chill, so this is where it did actually start. And you know, the carrots themselves didn't burn. Right. It was interesting the things that did interesting the things that did and didn't burn. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you that customers' trays don't burn; they melt into something that you know even the most industrial of plants cannot break up. It's a roof collapsed entirely. The steelwork is absolutely bent, buckled, and. So, 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 Susie, by the end of that first day, did you realise it was a total loss? That that element no, of the side? not not by the end of that first day. Right. Two or three days later, we we knew. Um, you, you, I say you keep getting information drip fed into you. You know, you think you're going to keep a bit of plant, and then you realise you're not going to keep a bit of plant. There's there's so many things that you have no concept of as you go through. You know, the insurers come in and and they assess the concrete, for example, and your entire plant, and yeah, their assessment from their structural engineer is that the concrete's been exposed to too high temperatures for too long. So when you are rebuilding, you then have to lift up all your concrete. Well, ground up. So you know, you've got a heck of a lot of good class, uh, good type one when you're when you're relaying, but you've got a you've got a bit of work to do to get there. Yeah. You know, I think for me, one of the things that the BCP gives you is that structure for the first 24 hours because they truly in my view they're they're the truly critical hours how yeah. you manage that first 24 hours how you react to the situation in that period that determines how you springboard your recovery yeah. and as i said everything's new there's a constant drip feed of, of info you're making decisions that you know, you're, you're partially blindfold while you're doing that things you've never thought about things you've never considered I mean, we were lucky we had a split site operation we could move people we could set up a command center elsewhere but you don't have access to everything that you, you would normally do and people want answers they want decisions they want guidance and you just can't give them what they want yeah. but there is a wonderful thing that comes through of it and, and that's that's been the support that that we got um and that you know god forbid anyone should ever be in that situation we'd be just there to give again your competitors become your allies i, I was going to i was going to mention this in, in very few industries if you if you think the same thing happened to say a shoe manufacturer the, their competitors would be not, not laughing at them but would uh would would not be assisting them the fact that your competitors the word competitor means you're competitive but they're actually helping you is um is is awe-inspiring oh absolutely as i say they, they do they become your allies and, and your teammates and you're all in the same corner together um, and, and, you know, I heard it so often from so many people and they just they look you in the eye or they give you a hug and they just say, there but for the grace of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we all we all feel that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and in fairness, it was probably we did we did have one moment of wobble. Um, and that was that very first BCP meeting. You know, the teams assembled in the meeting room. Our production director came in. And she picked up the BCP folder and she was chairing the meeting. She shook her head and, and she, she lifted it up, she dropped it on the table and she said, what's the point? And the room fell silent. 
And she looked at the faces in the room and she immediately picked the book back up and went, there's every point. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and and from that moment, we just never looked back. Well, um, and, and, you know, that, that yeah. are there defining yeah. moments? Are there things that just galvanize people that you never forget? That's one of them. Yeah. And, and okay. that 24 hours is so important. You know, our, our insurers told us after the event, well, not after the event, but, you know, a few weeks in when we were saying, oh, the size of this job. And they said, you'll be, you'll be fine, you'll succeed. And you, you're looking at them going, well, yeah, thanks very much. You pop in here once a week, twice a week and go through the plans with us and tell us we'll succeed. What, what makes you so confident? And they said, it's simple. Um, if you make a decision to rebuild within that first 24 hours, you've got a 95% chance of success. For every 24 hours you leave it after that, you half your chances of success. Wow. Um, we're learning so some stuff today. Wow. That, that, that's, yeah, it's a, it's, a fairly, um, it's a fairly hard message to hit you. And I'm glad we knew after we'd made that call because we had decided to, to rebuild. And our insurers provided us with a, a project manager. He was on site by Friday evening. And if our insurers were great, Calling our project manager was absolutely superb. I, I still maintain he was one of the best things ever to have happened to us. One of the best people could have ever crossed our threshold. Wow. Yeah, he he was um you know he was an expert in what he did. He did these sorts of project rebuilds you know across the board, everything from food factories to hotels to domestic residences to you you know you name it. That was his that is his job. Um, he's an expert. He he was he was like a guardian angel to us. You know, mm. he was a coach. He was a mentor. My goodness, he was a disciplinarian of a headmaster. The minute you stepped out of line, you knew it. Um, all rolled into one. And and there is no doubt in my mind. You need someone of that sort of caliber, that sort of experience yeah. or expertise to to help you, to support you, to guide you. Because it's it's such a, a significant piece of work, and nobody has the experience or the wherewithal without having been and Susie have you have, have you finished with your, with your powerpoint because it'd be lo lovely to see uh, you yeah no I've got a couple of, I'm oh, just going to show you a few more you know so we you. did rebuild and the rest is history um you know we made it bigger and we made it better we we took it down and and that's what it looks like when it's coming down this is the bit in red is the bit we lost entirely oh, huge the bit in black is the bit that we had to re-roof entirely, courtesy right. of the flyer. We also had to wipe down every single surface in there oh. um, to, to remove any acid yeah. rain. And then, as you see, um, <laughs> you just... Crikey, you see the size of it now. And rebuild and take it down. And this is the bit, you know, all this concrete gets dug up and yeah. you end up with all of this. And the steel structure you think you're going to put up gets changed because yep. you have to rebuild. So, you know, it it was a terrible thing, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to us. And, you know, yeah, have I got some takeouts for it? Yes, of course I do. Would you like me to share them? It's entirely up to you. Yes, please. I've, I've, I've learned about battle boxes. Yeah. Um, the keep, keep, keep with the keep, get in the process. Um, for the project manager, can you can you just um, say that bit again about the insurers? About um, if you decide to rebuild on 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 the first day of the fire, you got a, was that a ninety percent chance of, uh, of ninety five percent chance of success? And for every twenty four hours you leave it after that, that half. That's staggering, right, Susie? Get, get, carry on. 
Yeah, so except you don't have the answers. You won't have the answers. You don't know what the questions are. We, um, we have a, a water treatment plant and we didn't think for a second, these are all our lagoons, we didn't think for a second we were going to have to handle acid fire water. Oh, this is our water treatment plant. It's got, a, it's got a biomass in there and membrane filters that are not designed to cope with, with acid water. But we had to, we couldn't put it to, to the foul drains. We had to handle it through here. We had no idea if it was going to work or not. There are unknown unknowns. Mm. I mean, did you know that, that stainless steel rusts and spoils with, with acid fire water? <laughs> no. We didn't either. And, and neither did neither did they because they cleaned everything. And these guys came in and things like hazmat suits with a single wipe cloth, they wiped once wow. and then industrial wasted. Um, and you know, two weeks later, the rust spots were coming back through. Stainless rusts, more equipment that we lost. Um, involved people. You know, you asked me earlier, you know, what's your management style? And 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 you know, I I I I am so focused on the fact that I think people are what it's about. We were back producing in a in part of the shed with a small sweet line six weeks after the fire. Sure. Excellent. This guy here, Abby, let me introduce you to Abby. Hello, He's been Abby. 25 years with us. He met we met him the morning we started back at Orkey. And he came running across the car park. He gave me a huge hug and tears in his eyes. And he just said, Oh. I'm back home at Orkey. Thank you so much. He was so happy. And, and he was thinking, he was thinking, what are you thanking me for? You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly humbling. And, and I spoke to him today and said, do you mind if I tell that story? Oh, bless. And he, he was, no, no, it's so true. Tell it, tell it. Um, so engage with the people. And, and the people, you know, when you're rebuilding, we made a big mistake. Um, we, we were well on our redesign build before we actually got the guys on the ground, the guys that, operate the equipment on a daily basis whether the production operatives the hygiene operatives the engineering operatives you know we had the management team designing the kit but actually yeah. if it was ever doing it again you'd get the the, yeah. the operators involved early doors yeah um, yeah it's in there an old mantra in fresh produce if you want to know what's going on in a business ask the forklift driver or, or other other similar people because they know the nuts and bolts of what what's actually going on and what works and what doesn't work because yeah. they're the ones in it yeah. And, you know, there they, are going to be bumps on the road. So brace yourself for them. Yeah. Um, you know, we we put up a marquee. Uh, within three months, we had a marquee on site for washing carrots. A marquee is great. A marquee is fantastic in the summer. A marquee is OK in the, um, in the spring and in the autumn as well. But in the winter of 2010-2011, which was the coldest winter oh. in living memory, when we had 12 inches of snow... Oh. Minus 16 outside. Snow loading isn't something that's considered oh, in the design and build of marquees. But, you know, as Debbie will attest to, we, we kept carrots washed through there um, for about 15 months. And yeah, it, the, some of these panels that you can see, they blew off in a wind the day that the marquee was coming down. Um, <laughs> we, had, we had ash clouds to deal with. Christine was quite right. Beginning of June, we had people yeah. with equipment being flown in. They got caught in the, uh, ash, uh, the ash clouds. We had equipment being built in New Zealand and Christchurch. And, you know, Christchurch was hit with its second earthquake. Earthquake, yeah. Our, the manufacturing site that was building the plant was, was hit um, when we, we flew out there to reorganise plans. When the plans were put in place, they then discovered that the ships that were going to be taking the, the equipment from Christchurch could no longer dock. 
in port because the port had been hit by the earthquake and so you have to find another way. And insurers at one point were looking at, you know, these huge big military um, cargo aircraft. Yeah, at yeah. one point they were looking at these to fly the equipment off New Zealand to get it into the UK. Wow. Um, and when we got all of that sorted, one of the other manufacturers who manufactured all our washout uh, equipment, they went into liquidation halfway through the build. So, you know, it it was a, it was a period of having to be pretty robust and and but actually also having to be incredibly agile mentally you need that resilience you need to have you know you need to have your your feet firmly planted on what you can't move on but you if you have a mental resilience and a mental willingness to make it happen my my view is always you will find the solutions yeah and, um, and people pe people grow from adversity do you think you're a better business and i don't mean um output wise but but management and, and team wise, are you a better business of, of that adversity that you all went through? I think absolutely. And I think the team that went through it will never forget it. And and they together will be a much better, not will be, they are a much better. Better is a tough word because it suggests they weren't good enough. They yeah. they're a much experienced, more rounded, yeah. more experienced um group of people. And and I think one of the things you do take out of that is that. You need to, as I say, you need to take people with you and understand that everybody's going to be affected by it. And you yeah, need yeah. to take time to engage with people. So that that support piece that you develop with one another during that period, you, you never lose. Um, and I think you build relationships and you build a, a resilience and a reliance on one another that you've probably never experienced yeah. before. Yeah. Um, so, Susie, it's not a sprint. That's the harsh reality of it all. Right? Susie, if it's okay to ask, um, a, a contact just asked me on WhatsApp, who was your insurer? They sound fantastic. Uh, we were with Aon, but there was a number of insurers underneath there. And and, and that's yeah. ultimately, you know, I, I would say to anyone, have the confidence, have the courage if you need to do it, because the results will be worth it in the end. And if it does ever happen to you and you are ever un unlucky enough to be in that situation, good luck and, and be brave, be bold. You won't regret it. Yeah. I love that final picture. Mm. That's, uh, oh, Dave, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, Susie. You must be so proud now. Oh, oh of, of you know, I mean, it, it was the best disaster that could have ever, ever before. <laughs> well, that's the quote of the year, Debbie. <laughs> the best disaster we could have ever, ever had. <laughs> And I, I, I am I'm stunned, and I each time I think about it, it's just such a big, it was such a big thing to do, and it is amazing that they've come through it, and they're bet on the other side of it, better, bigger, um, more rounded people. I just think it's amazing to to your you and your team's credit. There's just no no words to explain or express. And I was incredibly fortunate that Susie did another favour for me. Um, probably only about how long had you been up and running? A couple of years, where you where you had that that gang of uh, farmers round and hosted them and showed them all of it, and and you were just so matter of fact about what had happened. Even you know, and they're they're sort of fairly rounded farmers. They were blown away by it. So I think that you don't. None of us, thankfully, none of us have the the. Uh, understanding of what fire damage does until it hits you and then you wouldn't ever want it to it's it, it. and so when it does you just roll up your sleeves and get on with it christine thoughts takeaways uh have you would you do you have 
uh, I, I would say probably reciprocal business continuity plan, which incorporates use of competitors and they, you now, or did you have it then or do you, do you have it now? No, we didn't have it then. And, and strangely enough, we don't have it now either. I do believe, though, that were that situation ever to, to happen to anybody, I don't think for a second any one of us would hesitate picking up the phone to, to a competitor and saying, help. And, you know, I cannot for the life of me imagine anybody taking any stance other than tell me what you need me to do. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of businesses will actually have emergency offices and they pay for the reservation of that facility. So these offices are permanently there. Everything is there that a business can come in at an hour's notice, but everybody pays towards it. Uh, I suppose there's nothing, or do we need something like that in, in our industry as well? You know, just, just an, empty, an empty warehouse. Everybody pays towards being kept there for such an event, or do you think everybody's got so much spare capacity they can absorb? I mean, now you're all becoming so big that you know, not everybody's necessarily got spare capacity for something the size of you. Well, I, I think the challenge rises perhaps not so much around an, you know, an industry-wide capability or capacity, but the fact that everybody's needs are so, so, so different. Yeah. Um, and most businesses will have a spare site, not a spare site, but a spare facility. I say, in our case, on site, we had the standalone engineering workshop but you know, we use one of our farms as a as a third site. So we've got three um, three boxes, three complete setups of, of of everything that we would might need in a battle box across various sites. And we would use those as as the base for setting up should we ever need again. The the thing about losing a site as we did was one person alone can't help you. It's the help came from a number of different places. And, and then largely, you know, we were fortunate that, that there was bits of equipment going around in various, you know, sales that we were managed, we managed to cobble together under this marquee. And again, I come back to the fact that, you know, where do you start looking for a marquee? Well, that's oh, where your, your expertise comes in and your project manager that's putting up a marquee for the local hotel that's just burnt down or the, you know, they have these contacts and, and they know what you can get and what works and, and what's worth, you know, that's a gamble you should take and don't go near that one. You can imagine that phone call. I'm, I'm looking for a marquee for, for how many people, 50 people, no, a thousand ton of carrot. It reminds me a bit, which uh, you know, some, some of us may well have been through, but when, when you have to speak to a funeral director and they just, they, because they do it all the time yeah. to do and you're in a state of shock but you know, you've got to get through things. And I'd never thought of an insurance company like that. So you've totally changed my view. And of, of course they will do that. I just haven't thought about it. Yeah. No. I had no Good. idea what to expect from them. Um, I never contemplated that that would be something that they would, would do. But um, as I say, a phenomenal bunch of people. Yeah. Everyone, we're slightly running out of time, but I just want to ask Kirsty. Kirsty, with your MDS, Management Development Services hat on, are you aware of the companies that your trainees go to? Do you ever pick up about disaster recovery plans? No, not so much about um, that. I think touch wood, um, they've all been in fairly uh, lucky situations where they've not necessarily had to implement them or not whilst a, a trainees there. Um, but I was so listening to your story, I just think it's such a fantastic um, way that you were able to implemented but also the support that you were getting from your your staff they they were there to yeah. want you to succeed 
totally. And I think that with the, the, the disaster plan aside, there must be something that you're doing, which I think would lead to another really interesting conversation, probably don't have time for, but, but what is it about the way that your business operates that mean that your staff through quite a disastrous situation are like, Joe, we still want to be here. We're going to work in a marquee under snow. We're going to celebrate when we can come back in. There's not many businesses, I think, that would have that much dedication from their staff. Yeah, totally agree. And, and we, we've got to uh, leave on a positive. Susie, what's the what's the positive future about Kettle? When when we hopefully get you back in two, three, five years down the line, like, let's say five years down the line, what, what's the shape and form of Kessel going to be uh, like then? Uh, is, it, is it going to be domination, world domination, or, or what's the what's the direction of Kessel? I think the direction of Kettle Max is always going to be the direction it's going to be, that it has been, which is to do what we do, do it well, and and excel at what we do, and and let that be our growth plan. Excellent. It reminds me of um, that phrase um, that that we've had before from a, a South African about uh, about COVID: never waste a crisis. And, and and Debbie, that's definitely what Kettle Produce have done. I'm not sure if it's politically correct to use that phrase, but look, look at where Kettle have gone. They've had that 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 backward step or significant backward steps but they they pushed on from from there very successfully debbie would you like to wrap up for us please i am just uh thank you very much indeed susie and all the team at kettle uh, again for stepping up and uh, taking us on a journey explaining your story and and giving us sort of hope for the future because it is such a wonderful story of um, resilience recovery but it's also very much about the people the culture and the trust and I just think it's 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 a, it's an amazing place to visit, an amazing place to have the opportunity to interact with. So thank you and thank you all at Kettle very much for sharing that today because it wasn't easy. And uh, I think we have all learnt a lot, and I certainly have again. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, we can we can all learn through that uh, that adversity to 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 make it make a better business. Christine, uh, Kirsty, anything else to say before we wrap up? Well, just that we have a speaker for the next event on the 1st of November, which is Juno McKee from NIA, who's going to talk to, me, talk to us about the complexity of managing projects to deliver focused output. Uh, I think actually Susie's done quite a bit of that today, yes. different circumstances. But uh, yeah, we, so we've, got our, we've actually got people writing to me now asking if I've got any slots so they can come. So, um, you know, all looking very positive. But uh, um, Susie, this, well, that was absolutely brilliant. So thank you very much indeed. Well, not at all. Thank you all very much for inviting me, um, and I do appreciate it. No, no, no problem. And Susie, can you tell your IT uh, manager that uh, your head of IT that I'll take him out for a beer in a minute? But it will take take me about six hours to get up there. But I'll, if you if you can just bear with me, <laughs> I'm sure he'll meet you halfway. Hey, he's a good sort. <laughs> can we see him? Um, <laughs> can we see him? Nice of he has sat here the whole time. Come on, we love here. He is. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're brilliant. There you go. The, the fantastic team. And he's not even opened project. the bag of chocolate they had there either to keep it going. <laughs> Excellent. Thank Thanks. you, Susie. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Thank you all very brilliant. much. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.